In the Booth with Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got holes on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. How about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. (laughs) I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Tyus Battle of the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. That was a, CJ Fair was a long time. Fort Wayne Mad Ant. And then you had Paul Harris with the main He was a red claws. claw. Yeah, red claws. There was a, Chris Joseph was a red claw. Yeah. They had a little thing with the Celtics there for a I while. I saw Eric Devendorf was playing for a team in Boise when the uh, women played a game at Boise State one time. And literally, I was walking down the hall in the hotel, and there was like a window that looked into a building where there was a basketball court. I'm like, is that Eric Devendorf? <laughs> there he is. That, yeah. I don't know what that team was called, but it was in Boise. Have game, will travel. Uh, I think it was actually Dave Jagler who will join us on the show tomorrow who texted me recently and said, is a battle with the Timberwolves? I just passed him on the street. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, I guess, guess so. Um, so g- good for Tyus. And welcome to the show, everybody. We're in the booth brought to you by the Hoffman Sausage Company. At the dials is Tommy Hogan, Brian Higgins in the uh, seat nearby. And you know where you are. You can join us by phone at uh, 315-437-7644. That's 315-437-7644. We'll talk with Kark a little bit later. Paul Karkatera of uh, the ESPN broadcast this weekend. A couple of alums on that uh, call. Dave Fleming, who's uh, more associated with Stanford, but got a a grad degree here at uh, Syracuse. will be the play-by-play announcer Friday. He's one of the uh, radio voices of the uh, San Francisco Giants and does a lot of uh, TV and radio for ESPN. So he'll be here in, in here uh, this weekend as well and uh, calling the game Friday. And they have kind of rotating analysts and stuff. In this case, it's uh, Jim Mora. And don't call him Jim Mora Jr., but it is the son of the former NFL coach, himself a NFL coach and head coach at UCLA most recently, does a good job. And then on the sideline will be our friend Paul Carcaterra, former uh, Syracuse lacrosse All-American. Do we call his dad senior, or do we just gotta no? And just I don't yell know playoffs a, I don't one of them. It's not a two operation either. They either have different middle names, or he just they might be the same exact name on their birth certificate. I just I'm aware that he does not enjoy Prefer being it? called junior. All right. In any I'm way, gonna file that away and so we've yeah. not do that on Friday. That's right. Unless so he's annoying, I suppose, and we could go the other <laughs> way. But I'm not expecting that. Other uh, programming notes of interest, as uh, the guys had mentioned uh, a bit ago. Not just about the Yankee game, but the Yankee game is a pseudo-day game, which some people have a romantic connection to in the postseason. The issue is when it's your team and you want to watch them and you're working, um, it is not ideal for everybody. But the Yankees and Astros, which is an awesome game today, is at 4 o'clock. So you'll hear uh, John and Susan down the hall on uh, TK99 uh, with that one today. Then uh, the other game, is on ESPN Radio, I'm assuming. Didn't double-check that, but I assume that uh, it is on 97.7 tonight. Then tomorrow night, we've got the, tomorrow on the show here, we've got the Dave Jagler of the Nationals. They may have swept by then. They may not be working tomorrow night. They are rolling. Uh, that was kind of the 
he, he knew his schedule would be tied up. We talked about talked about having him on the show yesterday and um, figured let's bounce it. And why don't we bounce it all the way to Wednesday because you could really have a lot of time on your hands. And uh, that could be the case. Man, if uh, Pat Corbin does his thing tonight, go North Stars, then uh, the Nats could sweep the Cardinals. So go from basically not in the playoffs to uh, in the World Series in the blink of an eye. And uh, regardless of tonight's outcome, we'll visit with uh, Dave Jagler on the uh, show tomorrow. So uh, looking forward to that. Dino Baber's show is tomorrow night, remember, because this week, uh, Wednesday is Thursday because Friday is Saturday. And uh, then we actually have a Thursday and we've got a Friday and all that stuff. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Okay, we're good with that with uh, programming announcements. Um, I thought it was a jumping off point to frame up the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nate Mink was the guy who kind of tweeted it and called our attention. We all had access to the same thing, the transcript of the Pat Narduzzi press conference from yesterday. But the doozer, he likes to shake things up mm-hmm. and uh, he, he's not afraid well chronicled. He and uh, Scott Schaefer are very good friends and close coaching colleagues going way back to their time together at Rhode Island in the mid-90s. And uh, Pat Narduzzi had a quote in his press conference that uh, makes it seem as though he is claiming credit for a common football technique called the double A-gap blitz. So why don't we read it just Plain Jane, and people okay, can... Okay, you can, can verbatim it here. <laughs> yeah. So, he's talking about Syracuse and giving credit. And he, notably, he says, well, we expect Andre Sisco to be back. That was one of the early comments that he made. And, of course... I'd hope he is right. That would be great. Well, right. We all we would love for that to be true. But we know that in, in uh, one of the coach-speak mainstays is you always have to expect that the other team is going to be fully loaded. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, certainly, we've seen that from from that perspective. It would be a bad move to not prepare for Andre Cisco if he happened to be on the field. That's true. Because he will end up with the football. <laughs> and I want to say this uh, before we even get into this uh, funny quote from Pat Narduzzi, where he uh, claims some responsibility uh, for the double A gap blitz or that uh, Syracuse took it from Pittsburgh. I, I will say that if you listen closely, you've maybe picked this up yourself. Dino Babers says or hints that from time to time, too, that this team or that team runs the Syracuse offense or took this concept or that well, concept. That is the industry, okay? that's Sit around all day watching film. You better be learning something, If there right? weren't any of that, then why would they protect or cover guys <laughs> anything anyway, right? So um, here's the Pat Narduzzi quote from yesterday. They run, dash, dash. Probably their favorite blitz is the double A gaps, which looks just like our blitz, and so we know what to do with that. So he's basically saying to the Pittsburgh media, A, what they like to do on defense, we got it covered because we do it, and we practice against it. Uh, I feel good getting their favorite blitz and what we do, and our offense sees it every day, so we've got some good things there, I think, and it's an advantage for us since it really came from us, I think, in the long run. Came from them. So them, Pat Narduzzi and his coaching tree, and maybe that includes our, our man Scott Schaefer. So did they it come apparently from us? Were the, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but... They might have been the first ones that said, you know what we ought to do? So the center's here, <laughs> and the guard's next to him. The guy with his head down. What if we run somebody real fast right past him? <laughs> Who happens to be really close to the quarterback, who's uh, really what we're trying to get to. And the and ball he, <laughs> is here. He's the one who starts with the ball. 
So why don't we take two guys, put them on either side of the guy who starts with the ball, who happens to be handing the ball to the other really important player, and what we'll do is we'll take two of our guys and we'll just fire them off in there. Hmm. Because that's really going to mess them up. That's going to create crazy enough to work. (laughs) And they concocted this in the great city of Pittsburgh. Or maybe Rhode Island. Perhaps. Because I can swear we've been watching it here for a minute. What Uh, do I know? So, you know, I bring everything back to food. Everybody eats. I like food analogies. It's got to be like the Taco Bell boardroom, right? When they just decide of some new order to put the meat, the cheese, and the shell in, mm-hmm. right? So their thing now is the cheese is on the outside. It's baked to the shell. So they're just sitting around. They got they got really three, four ingredients. Football's more or less the same, too. I mean, I, I know understand there's all kinds of ways to make it complicated, but it's blocking and tackling, and you're trying to advance the I don't know how many original ideas there really are uh, anymore short of insane trick plays. I did see Taco Bell today. had to recall a bunch of meat because there was metal in it. So sometimes you can go too far afield with the ideas. Not what you're looking Uh, for. Not at all what you're looking for. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean. Probably wasn't intentional meat. I don't think anybody in the boardroom said, hey, You know what we should do? More aluminum. I don't think that was in the meeting when they were baking the yeah. cheese to stuff. Just can't think of any other cultures that have baked cheese to things already. But <laughs> what what would be the truly original ideas? So, in other words, like somebody was the first time that they did the, um, you know, you'll see it on like a basketball uh, baseline out of bounds, or occasionally in football, somebody will do the. Um, Random wand over here, bark like a dog, misdirection. Somebody did that for the first time, and then that was ripped off. Uh-huh. Okay, there's that one. There's the um, lie down in the end zone and blend your jersey with the with the. Uh, like, with the I mean, that's with, with the lettering truly, in the end zone. Yeah, right. That's truly next level stuff. But that's been copied enough that we've seen it, right? So, right. Is there anything original anymore? Well, if there was uh, fake kickoff, holy cross. Yeah, but we didn't see it, did we? But we didn't <laughs> Not really first. see that. It wasn't original anymore um, by week five. And nobody else is really uh, picking up on that. But they could they could claim that they I'd say when that, that when that popped up on the screen midweek, that I had not seen before. I yeah. will give them that. <laughs> that was new. Good stuff. That All was right. innovative. Let's get to a break so we can work on our man, uh, Paul Carcaterra. Good to uh, have him be with us. He'll be with us on the Burdick Toyota guest line. So we'll be able to uh, hit him not only with his thoughts on the football game, but uh, catch up on a lax story or two that we haven't dusted off in a while. We'll do that in a moment. In the booth on ESPN. In the booth with Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. It is indeed. Hoffman, born in Germany, raised in Syracuse since 1879. Hoffman taste tells. We welcome you back to the show and now to the Burdick Toyota guest line our friend Paul Carcaterra one time uh, Syracuse lacrosse All-American, now a long time sideline reporter for ESPN, so he's gone from once to current and doing uh, great work day to day. Hello Paul, how are you? Hoffman's dogs, man, I'm getting a shake. I yeah. need to get up there. We got some in the fridge. We can uh, we can grill them up for you. When do you arrive? We can we can make that happen for you. Wednesday. Central New York actually is like maybe the most underrated food place going. I love the food up there, and I, and I'm like a foodie guy from downstate and grew up. 
outside New York City. But I, I have a few go-tos up at Q, so I, I can't wait to get to. Okay. Well, uh, I, you know, with your name around here, Kark, I mean, obviously no line, no waiting for whatever your favorites might be, right? <laughs> My favorite, though, is actually out in Liverpool, Sant'Angelo's. Okay. Yeah, that's a good call. greens and a chicken parm. I'm, I'm good to go. Okay. Very good. Brian's here, as you know. And, say, Kark's uh, never been one to turn down the chicken parm. I've not seen that. No, 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 never. And that's a, a quality, uh, you know, you really want to load up for game day, right? And uh, why not? As soon as you touch down, lay a good base down with some chicken parm. Yeah, 100%. You know, I'm Italian. We used to eat dinner when I was growing up at like 2 p.m. on a Sunday. My grandmother from the Bronx would come up and cook a ton of food have extra sauce and meatballs for the whole week. So I get it, man. It's, it's more than the food, too. It's gathering with people and, and spending some quality time. Well, good. Well, we're looking forward to uh, seeing you back while you're on the job uh, this weekend. A Friday night game for Syracuse. It's back-to-back uh, weeknight games. And what are the first things that jump out here as you uh, work your way through the week? And I know you'll be talking uh, with the coaches and informing your storylines for the broadcast. Whew. You know, this is a game that I think Syracuse offensively will have to be clicking on all cylinders. Pitt's defense has been incredible. I mean, you look at their defensive line. This kid, Jalen Twyman, number 97, he wears the same number as Aaron Donald on purpose. Uh, This is a kid who has a high motor. He's anchoring that defensive line. They get after the quarterback as good as any team in the country. I mean, they're... They're first in the ACC, second nationally in sacks. And 19 of their 27 sacks come from the defensive line, not outside linebackers or safeties coming on blitz. These guys are physical. They're Pat Narduzzi-type defensive linemen. And when you play a Narduzzi team, man, the one-on-one matchups are critical. Syracuse has kind of struggled in the offensive line. I know they have some new starters. You know, gave up eight sacks against NC State, so – what might be a Syracuse weakness is a pit strength and kind of scary, to be quite honest with you. You've seen a, a bit of this league this year, Kark. I know you had Virginia-Miami last week, and, and Miami kind of had a, a bit of a surprising win, actually, in, in my eyes. But this whole league right now is almost everyone's 4-2, and 3-3. Th- and three. What do you make of it? I mean, Clemson's obviously the lead dog, but have you figured out anything out of the ACC so far this year? The answer is no. I mean, going into the Virginia-Miami game last week, our whole broadcast crew just felt like Virginia was trending, you know, in an upward trajectory, and Miami was kind of, you know, scratching their head. Their offensive line was was really, really poor uh, for the last few games. Uh, They've had some strengths defensively, but they haven't been the team that they've been in the past. So, like, we didn't think that, that Miami was going to, to play Virginia to that type of a game. Uh, and, and to kind of allude to what you were saying, this is a conference, you know, even Clemson, as strong as they've been, they've shown some vulnerability. I mean, you could argue that North Carolina had a beat. You know, the North Carolina game kind of reminded me, uh, North Carolina-Clemson, of like South Carolina and Georgia. I felt like South Carolina outplayed Georgia last week. They deserved to win that game. I felt like North Carolina, when I watched that game, deserved to win. You know, they went for two at the end of the game. So, you know, Clemson's not invincible either. So they're clearly the most talented team in the league. But 
But after that, I mean, each team has, has had some highs and, and had some lows. I mean, Pitt's a team, you know, that lost to Virginia earlier in the season and, and, and played Penn State at home. And Penn State is a really, really good football team. I mean, Penn State's been blowtorching some teams and, and found ways to win with big numbers and blowing out Maryland and playing good defense and winning by a little against Iowa on the road. Um, so, so Pittsburgh's a team that I'm looking forward to seeing live in person on Friday night because I, I still am not sure about that team. Pittsburgh's interesting, too, because Narduzzi's always had like that defensive tough guy mantra ever since his days at Cincinnati as a D coordinator and then Michigan State. And with that team running the ball, and, and last year they had you know uh, the, the Hall kid and the Allison kid who rushed for both over 1,000 yards, now Pitt's airing it out. They're, they're the most prolific passing team in the ACC. So um, I, I think a lot's going to kind of come to fruition on Friday night. I, I'm really looking forward to this game, too, because I think Syracuse, you know, as much as the ACC is up, up and down, and, and we hate to say this in you know, the second week of October, this is a must-win for Syracuse if they're going to have any type of a season like they had a year ago. We're visiting with Paul Carcateri. He's on the Burdick Toyota guest line, and Kark has the call of the game Friday night with uh, Dave Fleming and Jim Mora on uh, ESPN, 7 o'clock kick. And, Kark, one of the changes that Pitt has made coming into this year, you alluded to their offensive change with Mark Whipple, the uh, former head coach at uh, UMass, worked closely with uh, Ben Roethlisberger of the Steelers, and now he's the kind of guy that they've they've gone and done some different things with. Pitt had a lot of offensive success when Matt Canada was there as uh, offensive coordinator, some innovative stuff. And what is it that Whipple has has done? I don't think anybody would list uh, Pickett among the conference's top quarterbacks, but uh, they've been effective enough here with him. I think it's a couple things. Um, you know, Canada ran a, a ton of the, the jet sweeps and high tempo. I, I think Whipple is, is playing to the strength of – of his players. Uh, you know, their running game is not what it's been in the past. I mean, that's what they relied on so heavily offensively the last couple of years after Canada left for LSU. Um, but Kenny Pickett is, you know, he's passing for 274 yards per game, but he has two guys like they had two running backs last year. They have two wide receivers who they have to get into the mix. So I, I think the way they play is, is much different than the, the, the Matt Canada um, time I think with Mark Whipple, if you watch their wide receivers, this kid French and Mac, that combination, it's the most prolific duo in college football, not just the ACC, um, in terms of receptions. And they do it uh, in different ways. You know, French is a, a really fast, smaller guy. Mac's a little bit bigger. Uh, they stress the corners with those one-on-one matchups. Um, you know, like I said, less jet sweeps, less short patterns. You know, they, they can beat you. They, they can beat you vertical with these guys too. Um, and, and those two are just great compliments to one another. So I think Kenny Pickett found a great offensive coordinator in Mark Whipple, but he has these two wide receivers that, you know, outside of Clemson, really the league doesn't have at this level. It's the extra F in Maurice French's last name. I think that makes it. He he housed one against Syracuse last year. I want to say it was the one early. After halftime, which kind of got Pitt going in that game that they won in overtime at Hines. But we got Paul Carcaterra here. Kark, we got to talk some lags for you. Randomly, this is 
Going to be your only dome appearance, I think, of of the uh, season here. As by the time you're into deep in the mix for lacrosse, Syracuse's home games will be at uh, CNS this year. But fall ball's going on, and we need to ask you about Pat March, this higher new OC in from Princeton. It, it sounds like the guys really like him. It sounds like the guys really like the offense he has put in. He's been hitting hard on the recruiting trail. Uh, what's this hire look like to you as what it means to the Syracuse lacrosse program? I like it, um, but I'd be remiss not to give props to Kevin Donnie, who was my position coach mm-hmm. in, in the 90s at Syracuse. He, he, he's been such a amazing force in terms of the success of Syracuse lacrosse. Uh, so much of the X's and O's and the brains behind the operation, so Kudos to Kevin Donahue with a great career. I know he's staying on as the uh, volunteer assistant, but the, the program has definitely taken a change um, in regards to hiring from the outside. I mean, this is a program that's never done that over the last 30 years. They don't hire guys from the outside. They haven't had to because the consistency of Desco and Donahue, who played in the late 70s and been coaches in some capacity until this year. So, I look at it as a lot of my alum friends were kind of disgruntled. Like, who's Pat March? Where, you know, I see the game every day and I follow it 365 days a year. This is a time where Syracuse needed new blood. If Coach Donnie was going to move on and, and, and retire and just kind of seamlessly fall into that uh, volunteer position, Syracuse needed new perspective. They needed new new type of of ideas and and someone who is from the outside. So I applaud the administration and the staff for doing this. Pat March, uh, if you look at his teams at Princeton, a couple things have always stood out to me. One, their ability to score. They were, you know, they went from 10 goals a game before he got there to 15 goals a game. But the most underrated thing that I think kind of reflects his offense is the shooting percentage of his teams. And that's not because you practice shots a lot and you have great shooters. It's the way that the offense is oriented. And it's the way that Dodgers come out in certain spots of the field. It's your crease location. It's all that jazz without getting too crazy that puts offensive players in spots to score goals. So that is, to me, one of the most underrated stats with an offensive coordinator, the team's shooting percentage. Where are the players finding space within the confines of that system and that offense to shoot the ball? And he's done a fantastic job. I mean, you look at his stops when, you know, whether he's coaching at Roanoke when he got after, uh, out after his, his years playing there um, or to Vermont or to Princeton, the numbers skyrocketed and the shooting percentage was great. And what he's also done as a young coach is he's developed relationships and he's going to give a new perspective in recruiting. Coach Donahue, um, Coach Desco, Coach Rogers are all great X's and O's mind. But the recruiting game, just like in football, it's a young man's game. You can't have, you know, three coaches who are all roughly around the same age who've been doing it for for the same amount of time and doing the same things and think that you're going to be successful in recruiting. You need to have some variation in the staff. And it's, it's not like an age thing, necessarily. It's, it, it's, it's understanding how to connect with the young kids. And chances are that a younger coach knows how to do that. And Pat March has been doing that ever since he was at Princeton and now to Syracuse. I mean, he just flipped one of the best players in the country. This kid, Owen Hill. When I tell you this, and you're gonna, everyone thinks I'm crazy, he is the top attack prospect 
that has signed with Syracuse or will sign with Syracuse in the coming weeks since Mike Powell. Now, let's all pump the brakes, and people are saying to me, Mike Lavelle, Kenny Nims, Kevin Rice. Yes, they were all first-team All-Americans and incredible players. But from a recruiting perspective and heading into college, none of those guys since Mike Powell, okay, were as polished as this kid Owen Hills. Man, when you watch him on tape, and I've seen him in person, this kid is an absolute stud. He is so skilled, he will start day one, and that is Pat March's recruit, man. Without Pat March, there's no way Owen Hills comes to Syracuse. Zero shot. He has good relationships with, with players from the Culver School. That's where Owen Hills is from. That is a Pat March get. And Bill Tierney was thrilled about that. I'll tell you that much. Uh, but, uh, That's exciting. Uh, and the thing you're saying about shooting percentage, Syracuse's shooting percentage, Kark, I mean, it, there's many years historically it's been great. The last year around here it's really been great. I can remember was that 2015 team where Kevin Rice and Randy Stotts and, and Dylan Donahue had the unbelievable season. But, it, hey, good hire, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But you put Mike Powell in a lacrosse player to sentence, I'm listening up, Kark. So that, that's exciting news. Yes, for sure. I mean, Mikey's the, the best attackman I've ever seen play. And I'm not going to compare Owen Hiltz to him. But I think over the last, you know, 16, 17 years, we've had a lot of great attackmen. We have had wartime winners in Mike Lavelle, a national attackman of the year, and guys like Kevin Rice. But coming into college, I mean, Mike Lavelle was a really good player. He was like a top 20 type recruit. Uh, Kevin Rice, he came down to, I think, Hofstra in Syracuse. He developed more even when he got here. Yeah, he was going to go to uh, Jacksonville. Kid, yeah, yeah, exactly. This kid is, is developed and beyond skilled. And, he, and he's a great athlete, man. I, I, I saw on tape this kid did an air gate during a game. Which one are we talking old Kevin Rice story or is that uh, Hill? <laughs> you, you had no, me confused there. Okay, good. No, no, no. This good. is Hill. This kid, yeah, yeah. Now, I was saying that. You know, as good as Kevin Rice and as as good as Mike Lavelle, they they are not at the level of Owen Hill. And, oh. and you know, I had guys bash me about that when I, you know, I might have said something on inside <laughs> lacrosse Instagram that that he was was at that level. And you know, Jovan Miller even was 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 okay. posting something where he said like, you know, how about Mike Lavelle? I'm like, dude, read the statement. <laughs> All right. Well, there'll be time for that to uh, play out. So, Kark, we appreciate it. Uh, good luck on your prep. Let us know if you need anything, and we'll uh, see you Friday night, if not before, okay? Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kark. Paul Karkatera of uh, ESPN, former uh, Syracuse lacrosse standout. Lots of ground to cover there. We can recap it here in just a moment. Paul joined us on the Burdick Toyota guest line. Do We Care is next in the booth, brought to you by the Hoffman Sausage Company, on ESPN. They're interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care no more. Cardinals pitching coach Mike Maddox, believe it or not, hit two hole-in-ones yesterday before game three. Has the scorecards to prove it. And you'd think that it'd give him good luck going into the last night's game. Mm, not so much. No, the... Uh... Nationals won again to take a 3-0 series lead, but the, the Maddox family, they like to chase the little white ball around. Greg Maddox was a very good golfer himself, and as older brother Mike Maddox, also very good. Those were his uh, fifth and sixth career holes-in-one. I wonder who's better, him or, or Greg? He did shoot even par That's in the round. 
With two holes in one. Yeah, so that means he was I don't know. Is that still I don't a good know round? Dis- sure, yeah, he's four, that means he's four over on the other 16 yeah. holes. Or you did, but if you're him, it was a legit really good golfer. Are you disappointed with the rest of your round? Yeah, I don't or, know. You got to buy two rounds of drinks for everybody when you, you go two holes in one? I think when you're a pitching coach for a visiting major league team, you can bolt. You can, hey, I got to get to the game. But well, I mean, but he I'm also sure had, he actually had to leave. <laughs> but do you leave the tab the open? I mean, what are you doing? Yeah, I don't, I don't it know It also would have been the, in like uh, late morning, right? Right. And I don't know enough about the Army-Navy course to know, is that the type of place where there are people hanging out after they play? So, you know, how many people would have been around to, to buy drinks for it? It may or may not be. But uh, maybe he left a couple uh, Benjamins and went to the ballpark. Any issues with him golfing on the same day as yeah, game zero. three? I mean, it's a little odd, I guess, this postseason, but you have to understand how they... He wouldn't have been doing pitching stuff then. Yeah. I mean, he's as prepared as he can be. Bad I would optics, think for this though? Uh, not not in the in the baseball culture. It's early in the... I mean, I'm sure they played early. <laughs> I, I, did, I will say I raised the slightest eyebrow that it was during the postseason, but... It, within the game, these guys do that all the time. I mean, the people who are known for whatever the golfy group is on a given team, they've got a routine of how they arrange it, where they play, when they play, who they go with. Uh, starting pitchers tend to play a lot of golf. Uh, certainly, Greg, you know, it's renowned how much golf Tom Glavin and John Smoltz and Greg Maddox played together. Um, so I don't know if he does this regularly or not. It, it does. It's a to me, it was a little bit strange he did it on a playoff day. But uh, definitely not going to kill him for it. Johannes Cespedes got crushed for playing golf a couple years ago, and I understand he was Didn't injured. He I understand he got hurt. Yeah, he was hurt. Yeah, but still, somewhat of a of a similarity there. That I don't think a lot of position players play golf. Now, the best golfer in the major leagues, my understanding, is Aaron Hicks. Very good golfer. Yeah, he's, he's if he's not the best, he's right up there. Um, and that's rare that a position player would do that. Those guys don't play a lot uh, during the season, and they don't have the free time. You know, pitchers just have more free time because up to four days, four out sure. of five days, they're definitely not going to get in the game, and their their work is kind of on their own schedule and in terms of uh, running and, and side work and, and whatever, and so they've got plenty of time during the day. Uh, I think you're inventing something if you're really going to get angry about the pitching coach of a major league team playing golf before a 7.30 game. It's a heck of a day, though. You pop two holes in one. And then all of a sudden it goes completely the other way. And you, I mean, that's a that's a weird day you've just had. Like it's your one of your best yeah. days on the course. Then your right. team gets lit up, full confidence going into that game. And he must have just been shocked at the results. If you hit two on ones, you think everything's going right the rest of your day. No, I don't. I don't. I personally um, wouldn't think that at all. Two hole in ones. I mean, I would. Think you think that's that pretty, something's going right today? Well, I think it already did. I think how much more right can it get? Once the second one went in, then he knew the game was lost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got to stop Double negative. <laughs> you get one, you got a little left in there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll move on to uh, Russell Wilson. He His helmet earpiece went out at the beginning of a drive in the third quarter on Sunday against the Browns. He went on to call all of his own plays, and that led to that drive led to a touchdown. Uh, any, should the offensive coordinator take this as an insult at all? Or no. is, it, is it cool that the quarterback was able to, to do his own thing? Like, the quarterback didn't even look to the coaches. He just felt upon himself to then continue the drive him, himself. It's old-timey. It used to be a, more the norm. I mean, it's certainly Terry Bradshaw and Roger Staubach and probably Joe Montana and people like that uh, probably don't think this is that big of a deal. Um, 
But no, I, I think the uh, quarterback and the offensive coordinator work in tandem. And if anything, the coordinator should be proud that the uh, quarterback went and, and worked through the plays and made it work. Yeah, I feel pretty good if I'm Pete Carroll that, yeah, we're good. <laughs> and hey, Russell's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's having one of his best seasons so far this year. And yeah, the quarterback should know what's going on. He should be able to walk up to the line and call a play and do it and score a touchdown. That's good. And maybe they should do it more often if he's one for one in this scenario. Russell Wilson, your current MVP of the league? It's uh, October 15th. I don't have an MVP of the league. Six weeks in. Teams know who they are already. It's enough to know what they're doing. He's in the mix. He's he's definitely in the mix, for sure. Uh, Last one here. Preseason basketball, I understand it. But the Timberwolves, apparently their players somehow relayed this the, relayed this to the security staff that they wanted people sitting in the upper deck to come down. And here is the report from the sideline reporter of the Timberwolves. There is a little bit of movement here in Target Center with the fans. There are fans in the upper level who are being escorted and ushered down into the lower level by request of the Timberwolves players. The players asked Target Center staff to have those fans who have been sitting in the second level move down into the lower level for this fourth quarter. So some of those fans up in the 220s, they are going to be able to enjoy the next seven and a half minutes with lower level seats, courtesy of a request from the Wolves players here. Yeah, it's great. No harm, no foul. Common sense does not need to be something that uh, involves finances. And it's a preseason game, and I'm sure the guys were looking up going, hey, why are people still sitting way up there, and let's see if we can move them into uh, plenty of empty seats that exist during a regular season game. I always like it at the uh, U.S. Open at Ash Stadium, which is the biggest tennis court in the world. It seats 20,000 people, which is a lot for tennis, where you get the night matches, they're late in the second match, a lot of people left, it's 11 o'clock, whatever. And then just come on down, and people get to get in the expensive seats, and becomes I mean, it becomes a raucous atmosphere. And obviously, that's a bigger stage than a preseason basketball game. But yeah, why not let let people enjoy? Absolutely, and uh, maybe they'll come back and buy that ticket for real. October twenty sixth, World of Beer presents Hollow Hops, the Brew Fest in the shadows of the Canyon at Destiny USA. Over one hundred craft beers from more than fifty breweries. It's a brew fest with a Halloween twist. Come dressed up as Brian Higgins. And also participate in haunted games. Would recommend act- that. <laughs> Live actors from Frightmare Farms will be there, and uh, museums of all kinds of things, Halloween movies, more. Uh, general admission and VIP tickets are available now for two Brewfest sessions at hollowhops.com, or you can buy them in person at various locations, including the branching out bottle shop in Camillus. Back to wrap the program in just a moment. Brought to you by the Hoffman Sausage Company. You're in the booth on ESPN Radio. With Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. Look at some of the things that we learned today that uh, Pittsburgh has cornered the market on both the double A gap blitz mm-hmm. and the double F. Maurice French. They already had that cornered. Yeah, you don't, you don't I, I wonder that. if he just said Maurice French. Do you got to like really lean on the F? Yeah. The double double F. We found out he was fast Absolutely. last year. He's a jet sweep guy, a kick returner. They use him in a lot of different ways and had a good game against the Orange uh, last year. Pitt and the Cuse in the Dome Saturday. We t- touched base on this uh, at the end of the, the show yesterday, Brian, but I'm not sure we gave it the full treatment, but uh, your affinity, and I'm with you on mm-hmm. uh, 
Will Muschamp's post-game press conference following that uh, South Carolina win at Georgia. Yeah, we're, we're in the wrong neck of the country, I, I think, for this to be happening on the regs up here. But, I mean, a huge win. South Carolina win the game on the field. He's talking with ESPN's Allison Williams, and he was very excited about his team. What was required of your team to come on the road without your starting quarterback for much of the second half and win? Well, we lose Jake in the early season. We lose Ryan to carry on his halfway practicing because of the hamstring. It says a lot about the culture of our program, the leadership of our program, the type of players we have in our program, and the future of our program. You break out the word program four times in less than six seconds. When you're an SEC head coach, which is the capital of programs, <laughs> That is elite level. I'm assuming that's why he keeps getting these jobs. And on top of him, he's a great defensive coach. It didn't go well at Florida. But in the ACC, we were trying to figure this out, how many uh, program guys there are in the league. Well, Dab- Dabo, worked only at programs. He's been at Florida, he, yeah. Texas, South Carolina. He's a program guy. Uh, Dabo Sweeney is obviously the biggest program guy in the ACC. And we're not sure if there's another one. No. Justin Fuente, no. Definitely not Brock on Mendenhall. No, I mean Hugh Freeze is, is right up there. We talk yeah, about well, he's Hugh's a big. He's the biggest pro. Well, we've had Hugh and then Dabo this year. That was significant yeah. September program work. Yeah, not a lot uh, with the with the program, but you you know you put together the program and and you want to see your program thrive. You got to stick around, and that may have been the type of uh, game that did just that for Will mm-hmm. Muschamp. I don't want to fan the flames of this with just a couple minutes in the show, but I, I did notice that uh, Bruce Feldman has his 23 names to watch for when the coaching carousel starts up. And again, that's still six, seven, eight weeks away. And Except at Rutgers. Right. But the arbitrary nature of it uh, surprises me because 10 minutes ago, everybody was all concerned. Oh, Dino Babers is going to Florida State or wherever you want to fill it in. And, and then now not on a list of, of 23. It doesn't mean he wouldn't be somebody whose That's why name would be... I wasn't sure. Was he not so. on the name to watch because we already knew to watch? Well, I think or the, Bruce Feldman newest? is a very big Dino Babers fan. He's always rated on oh, highly yes, yes. in these things. So uh, he may not be considering him when it comes to uh, a new list of 23 attention grabbers. Luke Fickle was number one on that list there currently at Cincinnati. So Syracuse's old uh, linebacker coach, and now Notre Dame, D.C., yeah. Clark Lee was the name to watch. He might have uh, been the highest-ranked assistant or second-highest on in that group. It was like Clark, so that was good Clark's to, great. Good to see. And where could he go? You know, Does Vanderbilt make a change, and would they go to him? That'd be kind of cool. You know, I don't know what would be a, a fit for him, Mac, school, or something. Their defense has been cooking these last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, they're doing a lot of things. He's very bright, uh, super guy. That would be uh, really exciting to see him get a, a head coaching position. Uh, in fact, both of the Notre Dame coordinators were uh, on that list from uh, Feldman there. So we appreciate Paul Carcaterra for joining us. He did that on the uh, Burdick Toyota guest line. Yankees game is just a little more than an hour away. That'll start with uh, John and Susan just past 4 o'clock on uh, – TK99. We are back tomorrow on the show at 2 o'clock. We'll visit with uh, one of the Jagler, uh, uh, Nationals radio guys, Dave Jagler. So he'll be with us uh, tomorrow and then Adam Terry on the show Thursday. So for Tommy and Brian and everybody that helped uh, bring the show to you today, we thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, everybody, on ESPN Radio.